Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, January 21st, 2015. My apologies for not being in the studio Monday and Tuesday. I had to take a trip out of town. Tend to some business. But I'm back. No light episode this week. I feel like I'm trying to rapidly catch up here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, open up our Bibles, see if what people are saying actually squares with what God's Word says in context. And oftentimes, you know, nowadays we have people who, I mean, they're not even giving any kind of a pretense that they're actually preaching God's Word. They're claiming to be receiving direct revelation. In fact, what we're trying to do here is rapidly kind of wrap up the uh, beginning-of-the-year prophecies type of stuff and uh, we're going to be revisiting Ken Copeland uh, because you know believe me what we played last week uh, regarding uh, Ken Copeland's 2015 prophecies was the tip of the iceberg uh, the uh, the meteor stuff is coming this week and it it just doesn't even remotely sound believable but uh, in fact I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here getting ahead of myself and uh, so what we probably should do is we should probably get right to it because we have a lot of ground that we're going to cover today. We're going to be a little bit all over the map, um, although I think we have a theme. <laughs> we'll see. I, I stretched the limits a little bit, but we'll, we'll see what we can uh, what we can do here. Okay, so what we're going to be doing to begin the program, we're going to uh, listen to uh, you know a thing from Patricia King about uh, how we're all supposedly world changers and God's going to do something. You know, you were made for a time like this. And uh, note note how it, um, well, firmly, firmly focuses you on you. Yeah, as if somehow, you know, you know, the thing that you have faith in Christ for is your greatness. You know, you, you, you get, kind of get the idea there. And uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears and we're going to do a David Crank update. A David Crank update. He's doing a, a sermon series entitled Picture This. And so we'll we'll take a listen to his Picture This ser- uh, sermon. And uh, somewhere in there, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll do an extended Kenneth Copeland update because I want you to hear the remainder of... These prophecies from Kenneth Copeland. I miss. I skipped the the middle ones, but 
Um, yeah, it's just one of these things that's like super uber creepy and, uh, and you, you need to hear this and you need to warn people. And, and one of the questions I get from time to time, and I'll, I'll answer that here on the air, even though there, I don't have an email in front of me is the the email will go something that along the lines of this, you know, Rose, bro, why is it that you go for such low hanging fruit? You know, why do you pick on these hapless people that are clearly, you know, one taco short of a combo plate? Well, it's real simple. It's actually quite simple. And uh, it, it's not because I'm trying to pick low hanging fruit. It has something to do with the fact that the people who many people consider to be, you know, kind of hapless, easy to debunk kind of stuff, they're the ones whom millions of people are listening to. Uh, in fact, uh, David Crank in uh, in one of his sermons recently announced that in the year 2014, there were over 5 million people, mm-hmm, 5 million yeah <laughs> you got five million yeah five million people who uh watched his television program in 2014 five million people who were exposed to his false teaching and heresy and uh, then you talk about somebody like Kenneth Copeland and you think who watches that guy and the reality is is that millions of people listen to that guy uh you know as far as the uh you know the uh, the guys who are you know they 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 are they're subtle in their Bible twisting. We cover them from time to time here. In fact, we're going to try to weave more of the subtle guys in during uh, 2015. But of the subtle guys, no, they, they don't have millions of people watching and tuning into them, or even you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. They have hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's, it's, you think of it this way: is is that. By going for the bigger names who may not all be, may not be all that difficult to debunk biblically, uh, it's funny you know the ones that are the easiest to debunk. They're the ones who have a gazillion people watching them, and so because they have a gazillion people watching them, we're trying to reach those people to warn them that they're actually being duped, so that they can, you know, if if they truly are Christians, they'll come out from you know watching these people or going to their churches or supporting their ministries or sending in seed offerings and stuff like that and they'll be set free by true sound doctrine you think of that this way is that satan is the father of lies he is like the ultimate tyrant uh he does not seek your freedom he seeks to enslave you and he he does this in many different ways, you know, sins of the flesh, but also in false doctrine and false teachers. And, you know, false teachers take on the properties of the one whom they're really serving, not God, but they're serving the devil. And they are little mini tyrants. And, you know, what they basically are doing is teaching for shameful gain the things they ought not to teach and binding people's consciences to doctrines that are not actually biblical. And so the idea is is that, oh, God wants you to do this, or God doesn't want you to do that. And the, and the things that they're saying that God wants you to do or not do, uh, it's not actually what God's Word says in context. And so you, you have people there who are thinking, oh, well, I'm a Christian, and I want to do what God wants me to do. You know, I, I don't want to go against God. And, and so they fall for the false teaching, and they take the action steps that are necessary to please God, which oftentimes you know will always include sending money to a televangelist. It's funny how that works, and uh, you know you think of Kenneth Copeland. This is a guy he he owns more than one private jet, and uh, I think he pilots his own uh, jets as well. And uh, you know this is a guy you know whose ministry buys him sixteen million dollar private jets and things like that. So 
Yeah, there's there's some problems there. So uh, okay, so we got uh, David Crank, we have uh, we got Patricia King, we got uh, Kenneth Copeland that we're all going to cover in the first hour here, and in hour number two we're going to head to Audacious Church in Manchester in the United Kingdom. That uh, would be Great Britain, and to listen to a church about potential and opportunities. And uh, this is, you know, kind of the, uh, another great example of the ear-scratching type of sermon that you hear from so many different, uh, you know, seeker-driven type of uh, pastors out there. And, you know, what's the emphasis? Who's the emphasis on? The emphasis is on you, how important you are, how important your purpose is, how important, and da 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 you, know, you kind of get the thing. And so the idea is, is that, Rather than focusing you on Jesus and what he has done for you, that he's bled and died for you, that, you know, salvation is a free gift. You know, they might even throw that in there. Yeah, you know, hey, you know, salvation is totally free. You know, and Jesus did it all. Yay, Jesus. And then they move on. And, and, and so what they're basically trying to get you to do is think that when it comes to Christian faith, the thing you're really trusting God for is the amazing thing that you're supposed to do in your life. And that's not the Christian message. The reality is, is that um, you know God, you, 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 God reveals in His Word what His will is for us, and so you, in, you, you would be surprised at just how mundane God's will seems to well the world and those who are seeking fortune and glory for themselves and things like that. And the reason why these messages about, you know, how important you are and purpose and spectacular dream destinies and all that kind of stuff is, the reason why they're so popular is because, yes, it is a form of scratching its ears, but it makes you feel really good about you, at least while you're buying into it. But the problem is, is that how many of us actually really become super uber movers and shakers world changers kind of people yeah the reality is is that most people who set out to be a world changer they never do become a world changer and uh, and they're so focused on somehow achieving this dream destiny that's supposed the god's supposed to lay on your heart that you know at the end of the day which is really come you know at the end of their life where have they arrived at? Not at this super uber dream thing, destiny kind of thing. They arrive at the end of their life where the vast majority of human beings end up at the end of their life. Somewhere in the in the mushy middle, you know, you, you look back across your life and you think, well, you know, um, I, I guess I had a decent job and, uh, you know, raised, you know, you know, we married, raised, you know, 2.4 kids and, and. And, you know, everybody's working kind of an obscurity in the middle class. And, you, you, you know, if the, if God was supposed to achieve some world-changing dream destiny through you, and uh, that ultimately at the end of your life is not what happened, how do you feel God thinks about you or feels towards you, uh, you know, when you start drawing near to the uh, you know end of your life and getting ready to, you know, breathe your last breath? You know, see, well, this is the kind of stuff that can shipwreck your faith. And, well, the question is, did you even trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins in the first place? Did you even hear about law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins? Um, or was your faith always in the name of Jesus focused firmly on you? And then when you don't achieve this thing that, you know, you're supposed to be receiving from God, yeah, you, you're, you're tempted to despair, 
tempted to think, you know, I, I just didn't measure up and, and all this kind of stuff. And see, this all plays into this, this other kind of works-based religious system. And so the idea then is, is that, you know, this is a subtle way of basically telling people, you know, listen, you know, and they won't be this crass when they say it, but the idea is, is that, you know, you, you are made right before God by the things that you do and you achieve. Your justification is based upon your good works. You're achieving your dream destiny. And, and so if you don't achieve this thing, you know, and you've only got so much time to, to do it. Um, then what happens is is that you do not believe that you have a right standing before God and you can despair. And the reason why none of that is going to work is because salvation is all about what Christ has done for you. Uh, your salvation doesn't depend upon your dream destiny. And what God, you know, God's um, favor towards you, it's not based upon your obedience. It's based upon Christ's obedience. And so um, when you start uh, making it so that you somehow believe that, you know, your good works determine whether or not you're saved, and that's what always happens. It starts creeping in that direction. Then uh, you've set up, you set yourself up for despair and maybe even hell, uh, you know, but the, that works-based religion takes on so many different forms. I mean, Islam is an example of it. I mean, that's a pure example of a workspace religion, but in Christianity, it takes it takes on many different forms. You know, from legalistic pietism to I would even say the word of faith heresy and the prosperity gospel. That is a form of works based self righteousness, and the way you supposedly earn health, wealth, and prosperity is by making sure that you have the correct amount uh, and quality of a threshold of faith that you're supposed to achieve all on your own steam. And if you're not living the big life, you know, perfect health, perfect wealth, and the breakthrough and the victory and all that kind of stuff, well, then who's that, who's to blame for all this? It's not God. It, you haven't done your part. And well, well, what is that? That is a works-based religion, and that is not Christianity. Anyway, you, you kind of get the idea. So we're going to uh, dive into the program proper, and since we're going to kind of ease in today with a, a Patricia King uh, update that requires us to do this. So are you a world changer? Yeah. Well, if you are, or you're an aspiring world changer, well, this is supposedly, you know, a very relevant, timely message, you know, from God through Patricia King straight to you. Yeah. And uh, the name of the video, by the way, is World Changers on the Rise. World Changers on the Rise. And here's Patricia King to explain the details. Here we go. Hey there. Well, God's world changers are on the rise, and I think that you're one of them. Y you do? Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I always thought that I was. And, you know, oh, this makes me so, feel so good. I, I kind of have that warm, fuzzy thing going on inside of me right now. It's like, I mean, just what, what, a, what a wonderful opening. Yeah, isn't that great? You know, God's world changers are on the rise, and I think you're one of them. Of course I am. We're talking about me here, you know. 
One of the songs that I have been singing for months and months now is Jason Hamilton's, and it's called The Anthem. If you want to look it up on YouTube, you can uh, get the music for it or iTunes. But let me uh, just quote for you the chorus. It's, wake up, child. It's your turn to shine. You were born for such a time as this. Oh, yeah. You know, that, isn't that from Esther? Oh, you were born for such a time. Of course I was. Ah. Yeah, man, you know, I mean, aren't I God's gift to the world, you know, huh? Of course, I just got to figure out how to, you know, um, make it so that the world understands um, the amazing gift to the world that I am, you know, um, having a little hard time with that. Oh, but, oh, but this does definitely, this is truly Christianity. I, of course, it, it you know, I'm so glad that God recognizes that I was made. Oh, for such a time as this, yeah. No, notice where, 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 where's all the the emphasis? You know, it's it's all on me. Yeah, huh, weird. Been going through my mind over and over again. Wake up, child! It's your turn to shine. You were born for such a time as this, and I just felt to prophesy that over you. Y- yeah, you felt to do what? <laughs> prophesy that over me? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, okay, well, get ready. Patricia King's going to prophesy over your time to shine. And, you know, because, you know, you were made for such a time as this. You are so important. In fact, I'm pretty sure that God can't even begin to manage the world without you now, you know. Clicked on this video because this word is for you. Some of you that are watching this video, you have been in a very difficult time where you've been struggling. It's it's, it's almost like being in a cocoon, you know, like that caterpillar trying to get out and it's struggling and it's getting all dissolved inside of it. And all of a sudden, one day it starts to emerge and it emerges as this butterfly and it no longer was is what it was. It has now taken on a brand new form. And I feel... Yeah, so, I mean, you know, are you slaving away at, like, a menial, you know, minimum wage job right now? Um, and, you know, you're you're kind of probably in your caterpillar stage right now. But don't worry. You're, you're going to hit your pupa thing, um, and you're going to go into your cocoon thing, and in just a matter of time, because, you know, she's prophesying over you. You are going to burst forth as... It's the the most amazing butterfly ever, and don't worry, you're you'll be so amazing that when everybody beholds your greatness, your beauty, your glory, they they will ah oh, they will just marvel. Oh man, and they'll say things like, "I cannot believe that God would make something as extraordinarily amazing as well." You know you. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, this sounds just like Christianity, right? Word is for many of you watching this right now that in that season of struggle, in that season of wrestling, that that there was transformation, ta- transformation taking place from the inside out. Yeah. But now you're breaking out of that cocoon. You're breaking out of that season. You're waking up. It's yeah, and you you basically made this video and put this out on the internet so anybody who just happened to be watching it, including me, I mean, I'm the one watching this, and this is a divine appointment. That's what she just kind of described this as. I mean, folks, I mean, <laughs> I just don't think there's enough room on the planet for you and for me once I you know break out into my um, 
butterfly face. <laughs> you know, behold, you know, the Rosebro pirate butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I, you know, how on earth? I mean, doesn't Jesus say something to the effect of um, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, which is an implement of execution, and you know, and come follow me. I mean, people carrying crosses are not exactly known as butterflies. They're called dead people walking, you know, not the walking dead. There is a difference, by the way. There, yeah, there is a huge difference between dead people walking and the walking dead. Just want to make that clear. But, I mean, when Jesus says, you know, hey, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, that doesn't sound like, you know, he's about ready to burst forth with the um, the uh, butterfly phase. Unless by butterfly phase, you're in reality referring to the resurrection of the dead when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And, and he calls us forth from our graves. I mean, you could in a sense, talk about that as the butterfly phase. But the wonderful thing about that thing that's coming that Jesus is going to do and calling us out of our graves is that we will no longer be self-focused, bent in on ourselves, sinful human beings. No sin, yeah. And so, I mean, we we will truly be glorious. And, and you know, it, it even describes us as shining, kind of the way Moses' face, face shone. But because we won't be so self-absorbed and self-focused and, you know, I mean, we'll actually, in the midst of all of that, be extremely humble. Whereas this, which he's teaching right here, sounds a lot like the kind of stuff that can just take your ego and, well, put it on steroids and make it so that you're doing the exact opposite of humbling yourself. You know what I'm saying? time to rise. It's your time to shine. Yeah, yeah. You were born for such a time as this. Yeah, you keep saying that. Um, but again, can you show me that in the scripture here? Because, you know, Jesus says to expect persecution and things like that now. Hmm. For what? To be a world changer, to be a history maker. That's yeah, who you are. Yeah. And I see the emergence of, of a whole company of people that are so close to God who are ferocious and fearless in the yeah. things of the spirit. Uh-huh. We're going out to the nations to see them transformed, who are receiving the knowledge of witty inventions with divine intelligence and, and empowered by the spirit. That is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Even young children and infants are going to be empowered by God to be. So even infants are going to be butterflies oh that's just amazing yeah changers and history makers and especially those of you who have been prepared for from some of the hard places you've walked through but you kept the faith you allowed the spirit to work within your heart you you kept the faith isn't the faith you know think of it this way you know faith has an object right always has an object faith is like eyesight eyeballs have to be looking at something right faith has an object and so the faith you're describing here, well, I kept the faith. Faith for what? My greatness or faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and a right standing before God? Hmm. A better person for it. God is waking you up right now. Arise and shine. It's a new day. You're going to see the the emergence of new things within your life because mm-hmm. you're being prepared for your place in this time of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she she claims that she was prophesying this. So apparently this is coming directly from 
you know, the throne of heaven, you know, the highest authority in all of the universe. And straight to you, uh, you are about to break forth into your butterfly phase because, oh, you are a you are a world changer. You are a history maker. And, y- you know, I don't see anything in Scripture that tells us to desire to be such things. I mean, there are people who have made, granted, you know, profound impacts upon human history. But it's generally the people who don't set out to do that who are the ones whom God uses to do that. You know what I'm saying? But the ones who set out to be world changers and be history makers, oftentimes they go down in history as like the greatest tyrants and horrible oppressors of people ever. You know, you think of Hitler. He, I mean, he was a world changer. He really wanted to be a world changer too. And sure enough, he changed the world. Um, but I wouldn't argue that he changed it for the better. Hmm. Nowhere in Scripture do I see that that you need to strive to be a world changer kind of thing. Hmm. Kind of strange how that is. All how is it that this is a Christian message? And yet, here's the thing: what Patricia King is doing, and see, Patricia King is not exactly what I would consider the most original person out there. What she's saying here is what I'm hearing a lot of people with better chops than Patricia King and a lot more street creds than her. That's what they're saying too. Isn't that weird? And yet all of this is being said in the name of Jesus. And if this is what Jesus wanted us to be hearing, don't you think it would be cleared out, clearly spelled out right there in black and white in our Bibles? Hmm, but it's not, is it? Nope, it's not. Why would we need somebody prophesying this then? The answer is, well, we don't. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at piratechristian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a David Crank update, and we also have a little bit more prophecies to review from Kenneth Copeland for 2015. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. So, uh, do you know why I called you in here today? Am I in trouble? Oh, no, 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 of course not. We're just worried about you. Is this about my tithes? You know, I- I'm so sorry. I forgot the $5. Well, you hate me now, don't you? Oh, no. No, you've been very good about meeting your tithe quota. 
Besides, if this had been about your ties, we would have sent someone to your house. I just wanted to discuss your attitude, because some of the elders have started to talk about it. My attitude? Oh, yes, your attitude. You see, we're all about our Congress having audacious faith, but we've noticed that you seem to be having difficulty being audacious during services. Um, are you talking about the Holy Ghost, Hokey Pokey? Was I not dancing right? You know, I, I tried practicing at home, but when I put my whole self in, I fell over and injured Fluffles. Who is Fluffles? Well, uh, he's my cat, and after I fell down, I didn't know if it was breathing. Okay, we we seen you straight from the top. Look, you don't have to dance during the services. But you could at least start singing. I mean, what's the point of having jumbo screens with sing-along lyrics if people aren't being audacious and using them? When I was younger, I had this bird, and I decided to take it outside with me and start singing to it. And a hawk dove down and snatched Muffin from my finger. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm so sorry about Muffin. But let's get back to the present point. If you don't want to sing or dance during the service... Then I guess we'll let you have make that choice. But if nothing else, won't you please be more audacious and just do the hand motions? Well, last year, I had my gerbil outside and his hamster ball, and... Uh, the interview is not going as expected. Well, I, I was practicing hand motions, and my bracelet caught a glare in a driver's eye, and the car swerved, and it hit Mr. Cuddles. He flew into the mouth of an octopus living in the sewer, Apparently, he didn't taste very good, so he spit him back up into the street where my neighbor ran him over with his lawnmower, which broke the hamster ball, but not Mr. Cuddles. So then Mr. Cuddles escaped, and then a dog thought Mr. Cuddles was a chew toy, so he chewed on him. But Mr. Cuddles didn't like that, so he survived, and I got him back. Well, that's finally something positive. I bet you anything that Mr. Cuddles would love for you to be more audacious in church. Well, but he died a week later from rabies that he got from the octopus. Uh, well, I think we'll have to schedule a second meeting for you sometime in the next... Never. I, I mean months. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about the Bowflex Max Trainer. Now, if you're like me and you want to stay fit and you want to exercise and keep active, uh, but you don't have hours to dedicate going to the gym, well, consider the Bowflex Max Trainer. I've been able to use this piece of equipment over the last nine weeks, and I've been consistently able to lose a pound a week on the Bowflex Max Trainer. And some days I was only able to exercise for 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. There's a 14-minute workout on this thing that will leave you dripping with sweat. It uses uh, interval training to kind of boost your metabolism up, and the afterburn effect on this thing is actually quite amazing. So if you'd like more information about the Bowflex Max Trainer, visit fightingforthefaith.com, and along the side, you'll see an advertisement for the Bowflex there on our website. Click on that, head on over to the Bowflex site, and check out the information regarding the Bowflex Max trainer. It has been a fantastic piece of equipment for me, and I'm hoping that if you're looking for a piece of equipment that will work for you and you have limited time, this will help meet those needs. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Bowflex ad, and get your Max Trainer today.
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Christianity isn't about you're achieving some awesome dream destiny and, you know, that you were made for a time like this. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks. North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. That's right. You know, David Craig is currently preaching through a a sermon series entitled Picture This. And um, who do you think it's all about? You think it's all about Jesus and imagining, you know, the things that Jesus has done for you and stuff like that? Yeah, no, that's not what it's about at all. Let me back the music off here and uh, we'll just get right to it. So without any further ado, here is David Crank and his message entitled Picture This. Here we go. Thank you for joining us today around the world. Over 5 million people watched the program in the last 12 months. And we're... Yeah, 5 million people deceived you're here and so we just started this new series called picture this but before i get started in the sermon i got a joke to tell you You all ready for a joke all right so this gal she gets on the on the bus you know she got her little baby and she gets on and the bus driver just doesn't have good sense he looks and he says man that is the (laughs) that's the ugliest baby i've ever seen in my life she freaks out and goes and sits to the back of the bus, and she's huffing and puffing, sits down, and, and the guy next to her said, man, what's, what's the matter? She said, that bus driver just really insulted me and hurt my feelings. He said, that is ridiculous. It's a problem in America. People don't stand up for the rights. You go to the front of that bus, and you tell that guy what for. Here, I'll, I'll hold your puppy. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, I'll hold your puppy, all right? Okay, actually. Yeah, so just like Joel Osteen, uh, <clears throat> David Crank begins his sermons uh, with a uh, with a, a funny story. Joe could kind of segue into my thought today, which is focus. Just because somebody says something bad to you doesn't mean it's true. Uh-huh. If- just because somebody says something bad to you doesn't mean it's true. Well, I mean that that is actually correct. That that is true. But what does this have to do with sound doctrine, biblical Christianity, something that Jesus taught? What, what, what is this about? Born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Isn't that right? If kittens are born in an oven, it doesn't make them biscuits. It doesn't really matter what they say. Your focus can get off real quick. And- okay, so focus. Yeah, I, I agree. It's possible for people's focus to get off real quick. Um, and well, who is he focusing us on? Jesus? What Christ has done for us? The promise of the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, you know, things of that nature. What is he focusing us on? 
My goal for you today is to help bring clarity to what God is doing in you right now to stay focused on the bigger picture, to move forward to the light. So focus me on what uh, supposedly, subjectively, what I might feel that God is supposedly doing in, in me right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why aren't you focusing me on Jesus? Why are you focusing me on me? That God has for you. It's all about what you focus on here. I have a picture and you can't see it. And I don't know really when I'm going to let you see the picture. But uh, maybe at some point during the talk today, I'm going to show. Well, okay. Or we can show you now. It's no big deal. But it could come in and out of focus, right? Boom. There's there's my family. There they are out of focus. So there's a picture of his family. And then now he's fuzzed up the the video feed. So it's it's out of focus. I mean, it looks like a Sasquatch photograph. Isn't it weird that, like, every time somebody takes a photograph of, like, a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, it's always blurry? You know, so this is so blurry. I mean, this could be literally an entire Sasquatch family. We wouldn't know any different. Are in focus. Have you ever done that eye exam where they say uh, better, worse, better, worse? Go on. Done that? And don't you love the glaucoma test where they go, (laughs) it's all about focus. Now, it, oftentimes, it's not necessarily that we're focusing on bad things. We're just focusing on the wrong things at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. This beautiful family that I have here yesterday, the one uh, right next to me, my wife, Nicole, she came downstairs, and I was studying, and I was writing the sermon, right? She came downstairs and said, oh, man, I had a bad dream. I, just, I need you to hold me. I had a bad dream that my ex-husband came back, and I, I just need to look at you and make sure you're not him. It's been 16 years, right? But, you know, you got to do the whole deal where you hug her and you love her and you hold her and all that stuff that you got to do as a man because there's times you want to do what you want to do. That's a whole other sermon. So the only reason why you are sensitive to your wife is so that you can get something from her? That's an interesting confession. And I would invite you to a relationship conference coming up soon, and we will talk about that. Then, okay, I got that's done. Now, my son, he, he comes up. My, my, my son and daughter, they got daughter in love. They got married. And they have a beautiful home on a golf course five miles from our place. But they don't live there. They do never stay there. They actually went ahead and rented it out to some people because they love to live with us. So they live with us. And they love it. We love them. So now Austin comes upstairs for his cup of coffee. Now he wants to talk. Now I realize now they're talking together. So guess what? It's, it's not that I'm not doing something good. I'm focusing on my family, but I really need to focus on my job right now. I need to, so I, I went upstairs. When I went upstairs, there's my daughter. She's waking up. Dad. Boom. There is an hour of time that I was really focused. I was really drilling down on this sermon. So really today, if the sermon's bad, it's their fault. Just send them an email. <laughs> I had to click something in me to focus. Time management, focus. Where you're going to be five years from now, focus. During this series, the next few weeks, on picture this. It's all about focus and focusing on not just good things, but focusing on the right thing at the right time. Philippians 3, verse 12. Okay, Philippians 3. Verse 12, I find it fascinating that he's going to go to Philippians 3, verse 12. Weird way to read the Bible, because Philippians 3 is probably, arguably, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture as it pertains to our right standing before God. There is some pretty hefty, important stuff that is taught and explicitly laid out for us 
in Philippians chapter 3. And so if you have your Bible, I think this would be a good place, a good time for you to open it. Philippians chapter 3. And let's take a look at the context of verse 12. Now, over and again, I say that there are three rules, primary rules for sound biblical exegesis. And they are context, context, and context. Now, if you don't know what exegesis is, exegesis is to read out what's in Scripture. That's the way we're supposed to read Scripture. We're supposed to read out what God has put there. And you got to understand, I believe, and I believe even, we can even say David Crank believes that God's Word is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. I, I don't think he questions that. He's not like he's not like liberals who you know question the authority of God's word and undermine it. But the thing is, is that even if you believe that God's word is inerrant, inspired, and authoritative, and you don't carefully exegete it so that you understand what God has revealed in His word properly, and you end up twisting it, well, it, well, it whether or not you believe it's in, inerrant and inspired doesn't really matter at the end of the day because you're not believing the inerrant inspired message in the inerrant inspired word of God. Does that make sense? So let's take a look at Philippians chapter three and Paul, uh, I'll start at verse two. So we'll get, we'll get 10 verses of context prior to verse 12. So we can see what's going on there. And notice here um, that uh, Paul isn't exactly about focusing us on ourselves and things like that. Here's what it says. Now, Paul writes uh, by way of warning, look out for the dogs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Paul called the false teachers, particularly the uh, the fair, you know the Pharis, uh, the Judaizers, Pharisaical Judaizers, who were in the visible church in his time, who were questioning the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Yeah, he called them names. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Here's what it says: Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's referring to circumcision. And Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, this would be your your law keeping and things like that, right? He says, well, I, I have more. I have more reasons. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, well, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Uh-huh. And now what is he going to do with all of this blameless righteousness under the law? Here's what he says. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, all of his good works, all of his righteousness under the law, I count that as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that's from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I by any means possible may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see what's going on here? Paul here is talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Who's he focusing us on? Not him. He's he's purposely saying, listen, I could easily just focus on all this amazing stuff about me. 
He says, I count all that as rubbish. And the, and the, in the English translation for rubbish is really weak. It's a lot stronger. It's more like a big piling, steamy, hot dog biscuit on your front lawn. That's really what he's talking about here. He counts all of that as rubbish so that he might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And that would be the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to believers by grace through faith. And so and now he wants to be num- not not known as a guy who has it all together here and now in some dream destiny. No. That he might share in Christ's sufferings here and now. Yeah, notice the emphasis. This emphasis is joining Jesus in his sufferings so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And by the way, if you are raised on the last day and you are in Christ and you are raised to eternal life, what what are you at that point? You're perfect. You're no longer sinful, right? So here's what he says, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. Obtained what? The, the perfection of being raised from the dead, right? Not that I've obtained this or I'm already perfect. No, he hasn't been raised from the dead, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he pushing forward to? Sinless perfection in the resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. So there's our referent here. And you can see what's going on. Great passage, wonderfully amazing, comforting passage that explicitly teaches salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And even it lays out the, the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Christ given to us by faith and our coming glorification in the resurrection. It's all right there in Philippians chapter 3. Amazing, amazing text. But what does David Crank see this text teaching? I do not mean to say that I've already achieved these things, I, that I've already reached perfection, but I do press on to possess the perfection which Christ and Jesus has possessed for me. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it all, but I focus. Everybody shout, I focus. One more time, like you had breakfast. What? I focus on one thing, forgetting the things that are behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. I focus. Now, I know one thing for sure, that you cannot focus and be the best you that you can be if you're continually focused on the old you that you were. You can Man, so uh, he thinks that what Paul's talking about here is being the best you that you can be right now. It's kind of like that old army commercial. Be all that you can be because we need you in the army. Yeah, yeah. You remember that? Yeah, see, that's not that's not what this passage is talking about. And by twisting this text and making it about that, he's what is he doing? He's robbing what this text is really all about. It's focusing us on Christ not having a righteousness of my own, that I might be found in him, you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Continue to be who you were and who you want to be. Something has to change, which in reality is your focus. Anytime focus is broken, it takes a while. When I was creating the sermon, it takes a while to get back in focus. Now, if you study and research has proven this, that if you're doing email and you're working on email, but then you go ahead and get off email for a minute and you focus on Facebook for a second, it'll take you 15 minutes to get back in the rhythm of that. Because your focus was broken. 
With athletes, it's about the focus. When you took the, the um, what, what was that little thing, the, 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 um, what do you call that deal where you, the, and you burn leaves with it when it's a mag- magnifying glass. glass. This is like a game, right? <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, it's kind of sad that your sermon's like a game rather than a sermon. Yeah. The magnifying glass, if really focused, can ignite the leaf because it has clarity of focus. And and that's really what life is about, is to focus on the right stuff so you produce more right. Focus on the wrong stuff, you produce more of what you don't want. Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? You know, who's the emphasis here? You, and, and you achieving some great, amazing thing through your focus. Yeah, this is a works-based religion, uh, no doubt. But is that what Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 is referring to? Is that the referent in Philippians chapter 3? That you know that you have the right focus so that you can you know be all that you can be in the here and the now. If that was the case, then why was Paul talking about the resurrection? Yeah, you get the point. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. If David Crank were really interested in rightly handling God's word, don't you think he would have actually given us the context for Philippians chapter 3, verse 12? Maybe the reason why he didn't give us the context is because he knew that the context would, well, it might confuse people and make them think that the, the passage isn't about them and them achieving the, the things that they need to achieve in life through their f- clarity of focus so that they can focus on you know the better things that are ahead in the here and the now. Because when you read it in context, I mean, it's not about that at all. Now, is it? Nope, not at all. All right, moving along. I've got... Time for money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. It's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, money, money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. Monty Python's Money Song, and that's one of the uh, uh, musical interludes that we use for preparing us to listen to money-grubbing televangelists. And, uh, well, one of the greatest and, um, well, greatest in the worst way of, of the money-grubbing televangelist is, well, the prophet, Kenneth Copeland. And um, we played a little bit of this last week to kind of prepare you for it. But, yeah, we saved the best for this segment. And so we're going to pick up again as we listen to um, George and Terry Pearson's. Oh, sorry, pastors George and Terry Pearson's, and Terry's female, as they review the prophecies of the Lord, the word of the Lord that came to Kenneth Copeland for 2015. And, well, you might want to hang on to your hats because what you're going to hear here is not only unbelievable, some of it is like, what? Yeah, that's what it's like. So without any further ado, here's uh, George and Terry Pearsons as they prepare us for the further revealing of these prophecies that the Lord has given to the prophet, Kenneth Copeland. Here we go. We produced a brochure about the 2015 words because you need to go back and read these over and over again. 
They're available right online at KCM. There's information there for you to be able to access this, print this out. And yeah, that's right. They, they've, they've taken, no joke, <laughs> the prophecies of Kenneth Copeland for 2015. You go to kcm.org forward slash 2015 words, and you can download, and you can put this in your Bible, you know, so that you can keep reviewing the prophecies, uh, you know, that, you know, that were given to the prophet Kenneth Copeland this and go through it and read it over and over again as I have done. <laughs> you really and, have <clears throat> taken this apart and put put the Word of God, um, compared it to make sure it lines up, yeah. and it does. I've just done a study on this, and who knows, it may come out. No, it, it doesn't line up with the Word of God at all. Church, but I encourage pastors to do that. Visitations, manifestations, and demonstrations. And I'll just give you these three scriptures that the Lord gave me about. It says, you'll see the great I am shall visit your land. And he showed me Genesis 50, 24. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham. Yeah, Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Isn't that Israel prophesying over the sons of Israel? Uh-huh, yeah. And that has a specific you know, fulfillment in the... Um, children of Israel who eventually go into slavery in Egypt and then God delivers them from that? Yeah. Hmm. What I saw in that is a a visitation will result in a moving, a shifting, shifting you from one place to another. Mm, a, A visitation will cause you to shift from one place to another. That's a completely meaningless, vague prophecy, don't you think? you out of something and into something that is of the promise that God has for you. Out of darkness. Out of darkness into light. Just think that he said the great I am will visit your land. That was Exodus is where he said, I am that I am. am And think about what happened. He moved a whole nation out of darkness into light. A new nation was created. Think what he's going to do with us. Amen. (laughs) Amen? Really? Think what he's going to do with us. You're going to have to give an accounting to Jesus for all of these false words that you're putting in his mouth. Hmm. Manifestations of my spirit as never before. In the scripture the Lord brought to me was 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. We will be the beneficiaries of the manifestation of the spirit of God. And we will see things that we've never seen before. We will do things that we've never done before. You know, in our... This sounds like something that I could get at XP Media from uh, the Patricia King gang. We've just had an outbreak of the Spirit of God and the move of God, and we're, we're seeing miracles. Well, you definitely had an outbreak of something, but it's not the Spirit of God. We're seeing miracles that we've never seen before, and I'm pressing in to the manifestations and the demonstrations of my power from shore to shore. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I want to see the demonstrations of the Spirit of God. So this is the year, 2015. Visitations, manifestations, demonstrations. 
This next word came through Brother Copeland's partner letter. He was praying for his partners. Mm, So this next word of the Lord came through Brother Copeland's partner letter. So apparently he was writing an epistle, and all of a sudden, you know, the the spirit falls on him, boom, and gave him a prophecy for 2015. Uh, We might want to add that, uh, you know, that letter, that partner letter to the back of our Bibles. And, of course, we can just go to kcm.org forward slash 2015 words and you know and print the brochure so that we can make sure to have all of these prophecies handy so that we can read them over and over and over again you know and wonderful things come forth when brother copeland prays for his partners over this partner letter if you've ever wondered brother copeland writes his own letters you heard that doesn't surprise me one bit he kind of comes off to me as like a micromanager you know first so this In this partner letter, this is what the Lord showed him about 2015. And I'll read it. I'll read it to you. What about 2015? The word of the Lord came to me saying... <laughs> he, he's even using the wording from the Old Testament prophets. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah saying... The word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Amos. The word of the Lord came to... Kenneth Copeland saying, better add this to your Bible. 2015 is the year of the overcomer. We will walk in the lame. I've heard this from wingnuts like Patricia King and others for years. Greatest supernatural victories of overcoming faith, which we've ever seen or heard. For, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The year of the overcomer. Oh, God. finally. Right, yeah. This is ridiculous. It gets worse, though. Hang in there. He says, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well... Uh, yes. <laughs> so that means we are overcomers. We, you know, it's uh, like telling our children, hey, you're a Pearsons, you know, or you're, yeah. you're a Copeland. You're, you're yeah. a fighter. You, hey, we are born of God. You're an overcomer. That's our last name, That's overcomers, last name. overcomers, overcomers. And so uh, learning what we have overcome, Yes, we've overcome come the, the world, the flesh, the, the devil. The you have, huh? I thought Jesus was the one who overcame all of those and had victory over them for us. Yeah. Which of us can really say we've overcome those things? Hmm? First of the law and uh, it, that spirit of the overcomer and not letting anything be a weight around our, our ankles. And, and something that we took notice of in all of this is that to be an overcomer in 2015, we know that there are some things that are coming that have to be overcome. But we can do it if we hold fast to the Word of God and that we be part... Yeah, which one? The uh, Word of God found in the, you know, the Bible... Or the Word of God that we're supposed to tack on to the back of our Bibles via this uh, brochure uh, that uh, has captured for us, uh, conveniently captured for us, all of the words of the Lord that came to the prophet Kenneth Copeland. I'm a, I'm a little confused here about which Word of the Lord I'm supposed to be, you know, focusing in on. Household of faith, for those that are in the household of faith, everything is going to be all right. 2015, the year of the open door. 
Mm-hmm. The year of the open door. The year of the overcomer. The year of the open door. Everything's going to be okay if you are a KCM partner in their ministry. And that means sending money to them. Fifteen. The year of visitations, manifestations, demonstrations. 2015. The year of the overcomer. There was a word from the Lord that Brother Copeland brought forth during our 2014 election coverage about our nation. And really? we found out. I, I missed this. Oh, what, what is that word of the Lord regarding the nation? That would be the nation of the United States. Sorry if you're listening outside of the United States. The, the referent here is the U.S. There is a new birth for our nation. A new birth for the nation of the United States, really? Coming into a new era in the United States. Take a look at this. Terry and I will be right back. The dominating power and authority of my word is very plain and very obvious in the scripture. Uh huh. So he, apparently I think he's channeling the Holy Spirit here. It's kind of creepy to watch. I made certain statements calling things that be not as though they were. I said a virgin would give birth to a child in the city of Bethlehem. Uh-huh. So clearly, you know, he's he's channeling the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, this, uh, this is really like demonically creepy. And my word dominated the heavens and the earth and peoples in the earth for over 700 years until that child was born in Bethlehem at the appointed time by the appointed virgin and the son came into the earth at the exact proper time. Yes. I have spoken certain words over this nation. They will come to pass. They, they are yes. coming to pass now, saith the Lord. Saith the, there's things that he's spoken that are coming to pass, saith the Lord. Uh-huh. Okay. And all of the things that Satan has attempted to carry out in order to stop my voice in the earth has come to naught. For I said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations, and then the end shall come, and not before. It's coming to pass. And this nation is the cradle of that message. It has come. The United States is the cradle of the message of the gospel. Really? I mean, didn't Jesus, you know, in like Luke 24 say, you know, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of my, uh, forgiveness of sins in my name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem? Wouldn't that make, you know, like Israel, like the cradle of the message of the gospel? You sure you're channeling the Holy Spirit? You sure you didn't accidentally like, you know, dial the wrong number here before you started prophesying? You know, I, I think you're, you got somebody else on the line that's not the Holy Spirit there, dude. Out of this nation, the revelations and the changes that have taken place and over the years and centuries that have gone by, 
I call Thank you. upon this nation to be the, my judgment arm. Wow. I've called on this nation to be my voice. I've called on this nation and many, many of your sons and daughters have answered my call and laid their lives on the line. And I do not forget that. So here, my people, hear my voice. Yes, the door is open. Repent and come through it. For I have a plan and it's the blessing plan and it's far greater than anything you have ever seen before. I I see. So let me see if I got this straight. Whatever spirit speaking through Kenneth Copeland here, I think we could definitively rule out the Holy Spirit um, due to the factual errors in this <clears throat> prophecy. But um, the the so the spirit is saying that he has a plan for the open door, the blessing plan. Yeah. Ah, so uh, this spirit has a blessing plan for us. Okay. Have a new birth for this nation. Mm, new birth for the United States. That can't be good. I mean, if there's going to be a new birth. How much you want to bet the, the America's reborn as a communist nation? You know, I'm not looking forward to any rebirths here. I'd like to see America get back to the Constitution and not be reborn again. No, and nothing good can come from that. Mm. I have planned a nation. That right at this moment, you really don't have any concept of what it's like. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Or think back to 1770, 1771, 1772, 1773, and a new nation was being born. But do you think that the men of that hour had any concept of what this nation would look like a hundred years from that time? No. Now, now, keep in mind, notice he's speaking, he's channeling, supposedly channeling the Holy Spirit in this so-called prophecy. They had no idea. It had never happened before. Hear my words, America. I have a new nation in my heart and in my mind, and you don't know what it looks like. The door is open. Yeah, if I, based on the spirit that you're channeling, I would say that the, the new nation that uh, we don't know what it looks like, I can imagine exactly what it looks like. You know, you know, you know work camps, concentration camps, mass murders, tyrannical stuff. I, mean, I, I can do, yeah, I've got a pretty good idea what this new nation being birthed by whatever the spirit has planned for us. Yeah, it's not going to be good. Through it. And together we will bring a new nation on the earth, a one nation under God that trusts in God. And there are those who would say, how could that possibly come to pass? It can come to pass because I am God and I change oh, not. And my- Yeah, it's kind of weird for Kenneth Copeland to say, because I am God and I change not. 
plan has already been planned before the foundation of the world. And you listen to me and you walk with me and together we'll see it come to pass. Thank you, Lord. But for all of those that will turn their back on what I am doing now, you will be like those of old that get trapped in the desert and your bones will fall in the desert. And there's the threat of murder. Um, if you don't get along with the plan for the new America that's about to be birthed of, via the prophecy of uh, Kenneth Copeland, who thinks he's channeling the Holy Spirit but isn't. Yeah, so you don't get on board with this new plan for this new America that's going to be birthed, you're going to be turned into bones that means you're going to die like i said yeah i can imagine what this new <clears throat> america that's going to be birthed according to the prophecy of the prophet uh kenneth copeland <laughs> and yeah count me out um i i think i'll find a way to uh disappear should that <laughs> should that uh, <clears throat> nation ever be birthed you know what i mean anyway we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian kit. Hit the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to head down to Audacious Church out there in Manchester in the UK talking about potential and opportunity. Oh, sounds like itching ears are being scratched all over the place. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Do you feel like any of the people we've listened to today have focused us on Jesus? Isn't that what preachers and ambassadors of Christ do? Hmm, weird. Let's do this right, though.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Word equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Audacious Church. They're very audacious, you know. Out there in Manchester in the United Kingdom, Glenn Barrett presiding. The name of the sermon series is entitled Hashtag Potential. And the name of the sermon is Understanding Opportunity. Yeah, see if uh, if you can figure out how this fits in today's theme. So I, I, I can just tell you this is not biblical doctrine. This is not sound doctrine. This isn't Christian theology. I don't know what this is, but this is being taught in places that call themselves Christian churches. So it's rather fascinating in a very awfully bad way. So let me go ahead and back off the music here. And without any further ado, here's Glenn Barrett and his sermon entitled Hashtag Potential, Understanding Opportunity. Here we go. Great. Hope you're doing good. This morning, we started a new series. You can see it up here on screen. It's called Potential. Everyone say Potential. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Aren't you glad that you've got a God who's got the ability to do more? Yeah, Ephesians 3 verse 20, out of context, there is that's actually kind of a benedictory thought there uh, that's going on in Ephesians chapter 3. It's fascinating to me that uh, I've heard other people twist this text in a similar way. If you remember the Passion Conference uh, from a couple of years ago, it was I think it was Louis Giglio who twisted God's Word in almost this exact same way. And I find it fascinating when this happens because over and again, they're just ripping verses out of context. I mean, just... Just snatch a sentence and then um, and then get rid of it, you know, get rid of the context. And all of a sudden you can turn it into whatever you want it to say. That's what they're doing here. Um, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, I'll give you a little context. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice that Paul here is focusing us on Jesus. Fascinating, huh? That you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now here's the benediction, you know, the kind of the closing thought of this prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what the text says. So they focus in on the, is able to do exceedingly abundantly all the more than we can think or ask, and they leave out the rest of the sentence. And to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So they take this benedictory thought here at the close of this prayer within the epistle of Ephesians, and they turn it into this magical formula, this 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 thing that God's supposedly doing in you, and you know he's going to do abundantly greater than whatever, and you have potential because of this. Right, yeah. Somebody who's twisting God's word by ripping these verses out of context is not rightly telling us what these words say or mean, 
Instead, they're manipulating them to say and mean what they want them to say and mean. And notice the emphasis. Is it going to be on Christ or is it going to be on somebody or something else? We continue. More than you can ask or imagine. Some of you this year, you thought your dream was too big. Listen, God said, that's easy. I I can do that. I can do that, pressed down, shaken together, and running all over. According to his power that's at work within you. Potential, coming from the Latin, potentia. It speaks about a potency, a a, a power. Yeah, potential isn't in that verse in Ephesians that you ripped out of context and ignored the part about Jesus. God puts his power in you for you to be able to live out and fulfill divine potential. I haven't got time. And Ephesians 3 doesn't say that time to recap the whole message from this morning tonight. I certainly don't want to do that, but this series on potential is a two-track series. In the morning, we're talking about potential. We're talking about the shape of potential, the nature of potential. What is potential? How does potential work? And if you're only here for the evenings, then we've got good news for you, because in the evenings, the second track is this, we're going to talk about opportunity. Because when you know how potential works, you will never fear divine opportunity when it comes your way. Mm -hmm. And where are these great doctrines of potential and opportunity clearly laid out in a biblical text in context? I'd like to actually see that. Listen, in a few weeks' time, we're going to talk about how to recognize God opportunity. And I don't want to preach that yet, but let me give you a little snapshot of it. You know it's a God opportunity when it scares the pants off you. If it scares you half to death. Yeah, again, where in Scripture does it say you'll know it's a God opportunity if it scares the pants off you? I'm not familiar with that text. You know that God's in it. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks' time. You're going to have to hold your, hold your horses until we get to that. But you know, this morning when we were speaking about potential, I was telling the church about the life of a lady called Martha Berry. Not Pastor Paul Reed's friend, Mary Berry. Not Martha from the scriptures. And you're like in Mary and Martha. Berry, but Martha Berry. The story of Martha Berry is an amazing lady. She had a dream that one day she would be able to build a school for the underprivileged children in her area. She noticed that the children who were middle class and rich had the opportunity to get a good education, but the children who were poor did not have the opportunity to get an education. And so what she did was she took this dream. She had no money, she had no buildings, she had no teaching staff, she had no books, but she had a dream. She went to Henry Ford and said, Mr. Ford, I have a dream that the children, the under, underprivileged, the poor children of our area will be educated. Will you sow money into my dream? Henry Ford, the rich uh, inventor of the Model T. So this Martha lady asked him, would you sow money into my dream? That's what she said? Ford and Ford Motor Cars. He put his hand in his pocket and all he had with him was a dime. Here's a dime right here. A dime, 10 American cents, the equivalent of six pennies. He said, here, rather gruffly, this is all I have. This is all you're going to get. Most people would look at that dime and say, it's not fair. Most people would look at Henry Ford and say, sir, you have the ability to give me so much more. Is this story found in the Bible? Why are you telling me this story? You are so wealthy, and yet you've only given me a dime. 
you know all great things only ever started with a dime? Six pennies. All great things only ever started with a dime's worth of time, a dime's worth of energy, a dime's worth of latent ability. And rather than getting on Twitter and blogging about how um, measly Henry Ford was, rather than writing a blog online... I don't think Twitter or blogs existed in back when Henry Ford was around. You know what I'm saying? And saying things like, you know what, Henry Ford, you're such a selfish man. You only gave me a dime. She made a decision that she was going to take that dime and make that dime work. You see, the dime for her represented not the fulfillment of a dream, but it represented something that we call today potential. She took it to the local convenience store and bought a bag of seeds. She then planted those seeds, raised a crop, harvested it, sold the crop, and then went and bought a second bag of seeds. Mary Berry did this four times over, and after the fourth time, she had enough money to build this wooden hut that you see on screen here right now. Mary Berry, Martha Berry, had enough to build this hut on screen. The only reason I know I made a faux pas then is because Pastor Mark Foster lives, he lives for faux pas. He's on the front row saying, say something wrong, Glenn. With a dime, she built this. She then went back to Henry Ford and said to Mr. Ford, Mr. Ford, here is the dime that you gave me. I want to show you a snapshot of what your dime has accomplished. He was then so impressed with Martha Berry that Henry Ford reached into his bank account and then proceeded to give Martha Berry a million dollars. She on that site began to build an amazing school. The next images that you see coming up on screen are images of the buildings that are now on that site. In fact, the Martha Berry School is the largest school campus in the world. It sits on 28,000 acres of land. And most of us, especially the ladies in this auditorium... Yeah, now, this is a really inspiring message, I guess, of tenacity and stick and creative thinking and problem solving. But what does this have to do with anything actually truly taught in Scripture? I'm, I'm just not seeing it yet. You know Martha Berry's school because it was used for the filming of a movie called Sweet Home, Alabama. The house that Reese Witherspoon pretended that she grew up in is a building on the campus of Martha Berry School. I want you to see this this evening, that this whole thing was possible because of the power of potential. Are you with- mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the world's not the same since Reese Witherspoon was able to act, you know, on one of the buildings on that campus. <laughs> okay. With me tonight. Seven years ago, Audacious Church didn't exist. Seven years ago, there was a group of people who had a dream. Yeah, um, yeah but see, seven years ago, the... the the true church existed, and the true church has been in existence since, uh, well, the church came into existence. Yeah. Um, the question is if Audacious Church is what, whether or not it's actually a church that teaches the, the faith once delivered to the saints, or if it's a church posing as a church that is teaching false doctrine and, you know, doctrines of demons and things like that. This building stood, but there was no church here. 
On Thursday night, our A-Teams ministry took out over 100 of our amazing homeless community in the city and took them to Red Hot Buffet and did wonderful things, feeding them again. And what I love about our A-Teams is they don't do it just once a year. They do it all throughout the year. They're out six nights a week. But you know something seven years ago that didn't exist. All it was was a dream and potential. I remember on our first service, we had 90 people in church. And you know something? Even though we only had 90 people, we did church loud and we did it proud. We were proud to be loud. Now, who's he preaching about? Jesus or really themselves? You know what I'm saying? Because the Bible says God's put a new song in your mouth. The Bible says God is lifted up in the middle of shouts of praise. Did you know that? And so we decided seven years ago, that though we only had 90 people, we had potential. We began to realize we've got a dream, but we have potential. Seven years ago, we had a dime's worth of people. We had a dime's worth of money, if. We had a dime's worth of ability. But more than the dime, we had potential. And church, I want to tell you something tonight. I want to reiterate what I said this morning, that your potential has the answer for every question that you will ever face. Your potential... Your potential has the answer, not Christ? That's weird. So your potential is God? ...has the answer for every difficulty and challenge. The reason you face what you are facing is because God has put within you the potential to overcome. Uh-huh. Um again, I need a verse. Wh- which passage of scripture are you exegeting from? I would like to see this revealed from the Holy Spirit in the written word of God. Our Sunday night's message are built on opportunity, understanding how opportunity and potential go hand in hand. And church, I want you to see tonight from the outset of this message that our God is wonderful. Our God is this amazing God of opportunity, but opportunity requires... God of opportunity. I've heard God referred to a God of many things, you know, Lord God of Sabaoth, you know, things like that. But the, the God of opportunity, I mean, that sounds like one of the false gods of the pantheon of the Roman deities, you know, the... The God of fortune, the God of opportunity, the God of wealth, the God of fungus. Yeah, they did have gods for fungus, by the way. Requires faith. Something that we Christians speak much of. We don't really have a religion, we have a faith. A faith in a God who we can't see. I right notice, faith in a God, yes, we do have faith in God. A faith that this God who we read about in the Bible, this God of love, we experience... Yes, we by faith know that God is love. This is what scripture says of God. Experience God, but we can't see God. By faith, we appropriate the things of God. Uh, Which things are we appropriating exactly? Faith. Faith's an amazing thing. I've spoken to you before about elements of faith, but whenever I think about faith, I'm reminded of my children when my children were small. You see, when we used to live in Sheffield and I would come home from work, I would put my bags down as I got through the door and be taking my shoes off and taking my overcoat off and my children would be so excited that dad was home that they would run to the top of the stairs and they would then jump 14 stairs between me and them. Jaden, when he was two, was never thinking, I wonder if daddy can run all these stairs. You see, on a good day, with the wind behind him and the stars aligned, Jaden could jump just two stairs. 
Georgia, being a girl, could do one stare. Sometimes three. And you know something? My children never stood at the top of the stairs and thought to themselves, one of dad's going to catch me. One of dad's going to drop me. Every single time they saw me, they said, daddy. And they would jump from the 14th step. And daddy's job was to run 11 steps and catch them. That's faith. Faith is when God brings to you the opportunity that lines up with your potential. What? Faith is when God brings you the opportunity that lines up with your potential. I don't recall anywhere in Scripture faith, Christian faith, being, you know, when God lines opportunity and potential and all this kind of nonsense. We have faith in Christ, and we have faith in Him that he has accomplished everything for us, for our salvation, to reconcile us with the Father, that he's bled and died for our sins and rose again from the grave for our justification. What you're describing is not New Testament saving faith. You're, you're describing faith in God for something that God's word does not actually say faith is, that we're to have faith in him for. Potential and opportunity? Really? What is this nonsense that you're bringing to our ears? And we look and we see 14 steps and we go, God, I can't jump that far. And God says, no, you don't understand, my child. You don't have to jump 14 steps. Just with diligence, jump three and you watch. I'm going to run 11 steps and catch you every time. Uh, Yeah, again, I need a text. You're just making stuff up and tacking this on to God. I mean... This is blasphemy. Faith is always a leap. But it's not a leap into the dark. It's a leap into the one who beckons you on. Do you remember Jesus walking on the water? Into the one who beckons me on to what? He said to Peter, Peter, come. I want you to notice Peter didn't just step out into the dark. He didn't step out into aimlessness. He stepped into an opportunity. And Peter, Jesus, in effect, said this, you come three steps and you watch. I'm going to come 11 steps. And even if you sink and even if you go down, I'm going to catch you. Uh-huh. And you are aware that the reason why Peter was walking on the water is because he actually didn't believe it was Jesus. And Now, I know that sounds blasphemous. But that's exactly what was going on. And, um, yeah, let's take a look at it. Um, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'll start at verse 22. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Here's the words. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Yet no opportunities were given here. Um, Peter was asking to come out on the water because he wasn't sure it was Jesus. He actually doubted that it was. So Jesus said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So this text, the story of Peter walking on the water, number one, he didn't do it because he had great faith. He walked on the water because he doubted it was Jesus. Number two, the punchline of the story has nothing to do with a potential and opportunity. The punchline of the story is they worshiped Jesus and said, truly, you are the son of God. Who's this text about? You and your opportunities and potential? Not on your life. This text is about Jesus the Son of God. Oh, man, we continue. I want to read to you from the Bible tonight. It's a good place to start. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I have seen something else under the sun, writes the wisest man ever, King Solomon. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance. The word there is opportunity. Have we got it for screen? Time and opportunity. Time and chance happen to us all. Uh, no, actually, oh man. Yeah, um, so he's basically pulling a fast one, changing a Hebrew word here. Uh, making a reference to the Hebrew and say, oh, it's not correctly translated. It, what it's saying is that time and opportunity happen to all of them. Yeah, a little bit of uh, context will help clear this up. We'll, we'll do that. But uh, the, uh, the Hebrew word in, in, you know, in question here is pera. And yeah, it, for him to just say it could mean opportunity doesn't mean that that's what it means here at all. Let's uh, take a look at the context. Yeah, so we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. It reads, All of this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Talking about death. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined uh, with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun." Go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. 
because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish are that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Yeah, so the verse in question, okay, uh, verse uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, time and chance happen to them all. Well, Glenn Barrett here is trying to say, well, look at time and potential, time and opportunity happens to everyone. This is said in the context, in the context of the fact that every single human being, whether righteous or unrighteous, dies. So this can just look at the context, and you cannot turn this into a, a text about potential and opportunity and stuff like that. Glenn Barrett is pulling, an, a, well, an exegetical fast one. We continue. Let me read these words again. I've seen something else. The race is not to the swift. Do you know what society says? It says that you have to be the fastest person to win the race. If you're going to win in life, you've got to be the quickest. But notice what Solomon says here in Scripture. No, no, no. The race is not for the swift, nor is the battle to the strong. Society says you've got to be the strongest. You've got to reach down deep inside, and the stronger you are, the ability that you will have to become an overcomer in this life. And Solomon says, you know what? You don't have to be quick, and you don't even have to be strong. And the Bible says, nor does food come to the wise. The key is not your wisdom. The key is not your brilliance or your wealth. But it says here, time and chance, time and opportunity happen to us all. You know what that's saying to us? That's saying to you right now, you're going to get the opportunity. You're going to get the opportunity to fulfill your dreams. That is utter nonsense. Ecclesiastes 9.11 is not saying that you're going to get the opportunity to fulfill your dreams. That is utter nonsense. Now let's take a look at a couple of other translations. I read from the ESV. Okay. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance, yeah, happen to them all. This is what he's bemoaning, this fact. It's, it's this, this is all a result of sin. Let's check the NASB and see what the NASB says. Um, Okay, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to the men of ability, for time and chance to overtake them all. That's the NASB. How about the NIV? Um, you know, brilliant to, or favored to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. So the NIV, the ESV, and the NASB all say time and chance. Uh huh. Yeah, you know what this guy's doing? He's playing fast and loose with the scripture and twisting them to make them say something they don't. And I would bet that Glenn Barrett doesn't really know Hebrew, nor is he a Hebrew scholar. So I'm going to go with the Hebrew scholars on this one. But we continue. 
that if you're doing what we talked about this morning, walking in the divine will and call of God for your life, God will set it up even though you're not the quickest, you're not the smartest, even though... That is not what this text is saying. Though you're not the five talent person, even though you're not the most brilliant, even though you're not the most learned, God says, you know what, if you walk faithfully with me, you're going to discover that time and chance, time and opportunity will come your way. Man, just, it's just demonic. It's, it is utterly demonic. Why? Satan is the father of lies. Because he's twisting God's word the way Satan twists it, and he's saying lies about what God's word says, he's doing the work of the devil. You will have the time, and you will have the opportunity, but will you embrace the opportunity? We learned this morning that the opportunity of a lifetime only ever comes in the lifetime of the opportunity. And sometimes, what? We miss out on opportunity because we weren't prepared and we weren't prompt. But let me prophesy over each and every one of you for this year. Time and chance is coming your way. Time and opportunity is coming to you. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, you would see this is what the dictionary says about opportunity. Yeah, so we're just going to look up the word opportunity and we're going to exegete that from just a regular old English dictionary, like it has anything to do with any of the original languages or Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. It means an appropriate or favorable time or occasion, a circumstance suitable for a particular purpose. Look at that. An appropriate or favorable time or occasion. A circumstance suitable for a particular purpose. Opportunity always comes in the form of a circumstance which ensures your suitability for the particular purpose for which you're called. Some synonyms of opportunity are this. A break, a chance, a moment, a possibility, an opening, a time. I want to tell you, the Bible says time and chance happen to us all. And right now in your life, in your season, God is setting you up for your break, for your chance, for your moment, your occasion, your opening, your possibility. Yeah, where in the scripture does it say that God is setting me up for my big moment, my chance, my opportunity? Not Ecclesiastes 9-11, dude. Possibility in time, but usually it looks like this. You at the top saying, 14 steps, I don't even know if I can go that far. It requires faith and courage to say, God, you've brought me to this moment of opportunity. This is my break. This is my chance. This is my moment. This is my possibility. This is my time. And rather than be scared at the top, I'm going to jump, God, into what you have for me. Are you ready to jump? Are you ready to jump into your dreams because your time and your chance? Are you ready to jump into your dreams? You really think this is a biblical Christian message? Really? is coming. Look at these verses in Scripture. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Colossians chapter 4, be wise in the... Yeah, wait, Galatians 6 10... Therefore, yeah, when, when a passage begins with the words therefore, you might want to figure out what the word therefore is therefore, because therefore is kind of a concluding thought. 
Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I didn't see anything about great opportunities in Galatians 6.10 when we read it in context, did you? The way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of... Yeah, notice all of the verses out of context in this key verse, Ecclesiastes 9.11, totally, totally twisted. Of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Colossians chapter 1 says this, For in him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things. Yeah, but that text doesn't say anything about potential and opportunity. It has nothing to do with what you're talking about. Hold together. Can I draw two simple things from this? Two simple things so we're on the same page as we move forward over the next few Sunday nights looking at opportunity. And the first thought for you is this, is God is a God of opportunity. Everything about your... Yeah, except for none of those texts say that. How can you draw these out, that out of these texts when none of these texts say it, imply it, or anything of the sort? God is about opportunity. We know he's a God of opportunity because he took the first opportunity. You see, the Bible... What? The Bible says God created everything, the heavens and the earth, when there was nothing. The earth was formless. The earth was void. So God sets the perfect example of somebody who takes advantage of an opportunity. I wonder what the opportunity was. You know, God and, you know, the Trinity was up there, you know, talking with each other, you know, Father to Son and Spirit to, you know, Son and Father. And, you know, they're talking and all of a sudden an opportunity presents itself and they go, that's an opportunity. We better act. And then, boom, the world comes into existence. Really? Nothing existed. Nothing that is as it is now existed. It only existed within God's potential to create. There was nothing. And God looked and he said, now is the time. Even though time had yet not been created, God created time. He decided to create time. And in creating the morning, the evening and morning, the first day, your God took the first ever opportunity. He said, this is the break. This is the... Where in scripture does it say God took the first opportunity and said, this is the break. This is it. This is the thing. Which text are you exegeting again? Moment. This is the time. This is the occasion suitable for me to create. And your mighty, almighty God breathed out of heavens and he created the heavens and the earth. God is a God of opportunity. But here's what I love. He created you in his image. Yeah, and see, remember, Satan is the father of lies and you're actually speaking lies. So whose work are you doing? It's easy to connect those dots. 
That means you carry the DNA of heaven. Oh, yeah. See, let me, let me back that up because I think that's a point worth rehearing without me interrupting. And, uh, you know, the claim is you were made in the image of God. So, you know, you've got God's DNA inside of you. This is the kind of talk that you hear from word of faith teachers. But I'll back this up, you know, maybe 20 seconds or so. Let's listen again. And morning, the first day, your God took the first ever opportunity. He said, this is the break. This is the moment. This is the time. This is the occasion suitable for me to create. And your mighty, almighty God breathed out of heavens and he created the heavens and the earth. God is a God of opportunity. But here's what I love. He created you in his image. That means you carry the DNA of heaven. No, actually, that is not what that means. And, oh, have you noticed that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins? So that made in the image of God thing was pretty much shattered and broken into a bazillion little pieces by the sin of Adam and Eve. That means you carry a divine DNA tonight. And so in the same way... Oh, man, you are so amazing. Notice the... Who, who is he preaching about? Not our amazing savior, but no, the amazing you. That God is a God of opportunity. He created you to be a person of opportunity. I don't know about you, but I love opportunity. I love it. Some opportunity is not too good. Like the opportunity to go to the dentist. I would suggest though it's necessary, it's not fun. Most people don't love going to the dentist unless, of course, you're Harry who's going to marry his dentist. Most people don't like that opportunity, but I would suggest when you have the opportunity to go on a holiday, you love that opportunity. I would suggest the moment you met the woman of your dreams, fellas, or ladies, you met the man of your dreams. I would suggest that that was a great moment of opportunity. Fellas, you looked across that crowded room and you saw rubber, rubber, ding, ding. Wow, look at that thing. And you took the moment. That was a great moment. That was a great occasion. It was a great opportunity that that my friend Johnny here on the front row took when he saw Miriam in the crowded room and then he plucked up the courage in that opportunity to say, will you be my wife? And to everybody's amazement, she said, yes. I would suggest that was a great opportunity. I love opportunities. I love opportunities to learn. I love opportunities to grow. I love it when we have an opportunity to come together as... You know, you didn't take the opportunity to learn and grow in your understanding of Ecclesiastes 9-11 while you were preparing for the sermon church. I've loved these opportunities all my life. I always loved coming to church. When I was a little boy, I used to love it. I didn't really understand the worship and I had no idea what the preacher was saying, but I loved the opportunity to hang out with my mates. I loved the opportunity to go on the church roof after after church meetings and play cricket on the church roof. I used to love it when the deacons used to get ladders and climb up onto the roof and they would chase us across the roof, but we knew the best tree to jump on to climb down. I used to love the opportunity to run away from the deacons who were saying, come back here. I used to love that opportunity. I got to tell you though, I loved the opportunity when it came and I found God. Well, he had the opportunity to rightly handle God's word and blew it. He had the opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified for our sins on this occasion and blew it. Oh, what a silly thing to say. He found me. God said, Glenn, this is the moment. This is the time. 
This is the occasion. This is the opening. And rather than you just go and do the church thing because you're a pastor's kid and that's what you do, God says, this is the moment that your life is going to change forever. And I'm so thankful because my life was changed in a moment of opportunity. I love opportunity. God is a God of opportunity. Your life is a life of opportunity. And church, I want you to see this tonight, that in the same way God, in the book of Genesis, he took the first opportunity, he then in a... Yeah, again, Genesis 1-1 has nothing to do with God taking an opportunity. A moment of time, he looked out of heaven, he looked at your biological mum, and he said this, now was the break, now was the moment, now was the time. What was the definition of opportunity? The circumstance suitable for a particular occasion. God looked at the world that you lived in and he said, now circumstances are suitable for the particular purpose of this baby coming into existence. Do you know why you're still here in 2015? It's because the circumstances are suitable for you to carry the particular purposes of heaven that God has uniquely crafted you with. Oh, aren't you so amazing? Oh, give yourself a hand. Oh, you're so different to the person next to you. You got a different tongue print, eye print. You got a different fingerprint. You are so different. Your DNA, your DNA, there's something unique about you. God created you. And yet you have the same condition that every human being has, born dead in trespasses and sins, at war and enmity toward God, on your way to hell. You know, unless, of course, you're brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Boy, yeah. Talk about how unique you are. Let's talk about how much we all have in common. For this moment, because your God is a God of opportunity. Give him half an inch, he's going to take a million miles. If you say to God this week, God, cause my eyes to be open to opportunity. I want to tell you something. You're going to see things you never saw before. And which passage of Scripture tells us to pray like this and promises that if we do, that'll happen? You're you're making promises God never made. People say to me all the time, I just don't get the opportunities that other people do. Yes, you do. Because God is a God of opportunity. And usually the difference is this, is that other people have their eyes open to the divine opportunity when it comes their way. You see, God is a God of opportunity. But I want to land on this tonight. It's really simple. That life is an amazing opportunity. And we only get it once. Well, actually, we live for eternity. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Um, You can think of this life in some sense as the opportunity to trust in Jesus, to confess him as Lord, to penitently repent of your sins and believe that Christ bled and died for you for the forgiveness of your sins, because you will live forever, you know. But... Today is the day of salvation. If you're going to talk about it in terms of opportunities, I mean, that's the opportunity, right? We're not coming back as a fish, as a dog. The Bible speaks not about reincarnation, about having another opportunity, about having another go. The Bible teaches us that we were created for this moment. God put us here in this moment. Yeah, which passage again says we were created for this moment? 
Yeah, I don't think that's the reason why humans were made was for a moment. I think it has something to do with being made for God's purposes, his pleasure, his will, you know, things like that. And in this moment, if you're prepared to have your eyes open to opportunity, and if you understand heaven's potential... If, if you, if you, this is all, well, a form of self-righteousness. See, the opportunity snatchers, the, the people who can see the opportunities, they have prepared themselves. They have made themselves ready in order to become aware of the opportunities. They are the ones who are doing what is necessary to receive these, these blessings of opportunity. That's because they're so amazing and wonderful, you know? Again, who is he preaching about? I'm not hearing anything about Jesus. No, not, not, not at all. Within you, you can have a 2015 of walking through amazing doors. I prophesy that you'll get to the end of 2015 and go, how on earth did I get here? Uh, you're prophesying now? That makes you a false prophet. I'll tell you how. It's because in 2015, you dared to pray a prayer. Lord, open my eyes to see divine opportunity. It's all around you. Listen, if your Christian life is boring, let me tell you, it's not because Christianity is boring, it's because you got boring. Pray a prayer tomorrow. Lord, give me the opportunity today to share with someone about how great you are. If you dare to pray... Yeah, the weird thing is here, you're having an opportunity to tell them how great Christ is, and you're blowing that opportunity. Strange. Pray that prayer. You're not going to believe it, but he's going to open the door of opportunity. Someone's going to say to you tomorrow in the workplace, what did you do on the weekend? And you've got a choice. Are you going to tell them you went to a crazy church like this? Or are you going to say, oh, I just hung out. What are you going to do in the opportunity when you're shopping through Asda tomorrow night and the Spirit of God prompts you and says, hey, see that person over there? Go and tell them about me. I would suggest that's a crazy opportunity. But friend, Christianity is not boring. We just got comfortable. Pray the prayer, Lord, open my eyes to divine opportunity. You watch what God will do in that moment. Life right now is an opportunity. You have this moment. You have this time. This is something that God has created for each and every one of you. And I want to encourage you in 2015, wrap it up in one particular bubble, in a, put it in a box and say, this year is my year of opportunity. And God, I know that opportunity will match my potential. And you're getting applause for this narcissistic nonsense. That's why I love that praise report. And I was at Emma. She said this, I applied for a job that was way beyond my pay grade. It was way beyond my possibility. It was way beyond uh, my training. And hey, guess what? Look what God did. God gave me the job. Why is that? Because we were never designed to go after jobs that we were trained for. What? We were never designed to go after jobs that we were trained for. Where are you getting this nonsense? You just making it up? You were designed designed to dream big. And God this year is going to provide for you opportunity that's going to match your potential. We talked about it this morning with the parable of the servants with the talents. That God will give you... Yeah, again, the parable of the servants and the talents is not about opportunities. ...according to what he knows you have the ability to handle. God is a God of opportunity, the Bible teaches us. And life is one big opportunity. Musicians, come and join me.
Are they getting ready for the sappy music? I've got a watch here. This is my new watch. Look at that. My new watch. I love orange. And my wife has bought me this nice watch for Christmas. Orange strap, orange numbers. I love this watch. My children bought me a, a ring a few years ago. And it says this. The ring says, time waits for no man. I've worn that ring since Christmas 2006 when my children bought it for me. And every morning I wake up, I realize that time's not going to wait for me today. I have the chance to break the moment, the opportunity, the possibility, the time to actually do something with time. This week, I'm going to squander it or I'm going to invest it. This week is something that's going to fly by and I'm going to feel like I've achieved nothing or I got the choice this week to do something diligent with time. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now gently descending upon the people in the audience, getting ready to do business with them as they make decisions to seize opportunities and pray the opportunity prayer so that their eyes can be open to opportunities. Uh huh. We all have 24 hours in a day, we all have seven days a week. But I want to tell you something, the early bird catches the worm. I'm not necessarily talking about getting out of bed at 5 a.m. I'm talking about living a life prepared. That if this year you make your prayer, Lord, help my eyes to see divine opportunity. God will bring you, because he's the God of time, he will bring you to a moment of opportunity. And you're going to look at that and say, I I can't do it. I'm too scared. But if you're switched on with potential and opportunity, you'll still be scared, but you'll do it scared. You know something? When we planted this church, we did it scared. I remember the first Sunday. I remember rocking up with Sophie and the team. And, you know, we had a pre-service prayer meeting. It was about four of us there. Joel, you were there. And uh, we were praying. And, and I remember I'm saying to somebody like Joel, you know, before the service, he said, do you think anybody's going to come today? We do it scared. My prayer for you this year is that the job opportunities that come your way are way beyond you so that you know when the letter comes and it says you got the job, you won the deal, you're going to be able to step back and go, God. And what happens when that doesn't happen? What are they going to say? That there is no God? That Christianity isn't true? Because this isn't Christianity. It must have been you. My friend, if you commit your life to a life of divine opportunity, you're going to find yourself going on a crazy journey. You're going to see God do crazy and amazing things in your life because God is committed to you. He's committed to taking you through that process. Where does it say in Scripture that God's committed to taking me through that process? I'm not familiar with that passage either. A hairdresser of mine once said, he said, Glenn, life is kesarasara. Whatever will be, will be. And I said, Stephen, look at me. That is not what life is all about. Your life is the sum total of what you do with every opportunity that God puts before you.
And when you get to the end of your life and it's not this spectacular epic tale of how amazing your life was, it's the sum total of all those opportunities that you did or didn't take, right? You're going to realize, oh, you were a miserable failure as a Christian. God must not be pleased with you. That's what this theology leads to, does it not? So what will you do? Will you stand here and say, I don't know if I can do this. This is too tough. This is too hard. Or will you embrace the divine opportunity? It's going to look impossible. It's designed to be so. Do you know something? I believe that at every opportunity that comes across our path, I understand this, that small opportunities lead to big opportunities. I love Paul Chapman. I don't know if Chappers, you're here tonight. I think I've seen you walking around. There he is down the back. Just stand up, Chappers. Look at this. This is Chappers. Everyone say hi, Chappers. Chappers, I love this man. He's been in our church for like forever, ever since we started, I guess, near enough to that. Chappers used to have a great job with great pay and and, uh, you know, but I, I've always looked at chapters. And, and when I've looked at you, Paul, and I've told you this many times, you remind me of a man in the Bible called Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom was a real champion in the house of God in the Bible. Because what Obed-Edom did is this. He decided that he was going to pursue the presence of God. He, he became a janitor. He became a doorkeeper. He learned how to play a ukulele. He ended up sweeping up. He did everything he could do to be in the presence of God and in the house of God. And as he did so, greater opportunities came his way. I often think about Obed-Edom when I think about you. Well, what I really love about Paul down there is that his life to date, to this point, certainly the, the time that we've been on the journey together, Paul's just been diligent in embracing opportunities. And you know, on a daily basis, he's here, 5.30, some ridiculous hour in the morning, he comes in, he makes sure the building's not been broken into, that we don't have to call the police. He does that, he does his checks. And then you know what he does? He sits out there in the foyer and he gives a big smile to every single person who comes and parks their car in our car park in order to get to work throughout the week. You know what he is? He's a pastor. Do in excess of 300 cars full of people every day. People are coming, they're meeting him. And when Paul's sick or he's on holidays and we put one of our... A pastor in the car park, that would be the parking lot, right? I did not know that there was such a thing as a pastor of a car park. Who knew? Protégé students or another staff member on, uh, all, all the people in the cars, they end up complaining. Where's Paul? We want our mate Paul back. Paul, Paul knows this, that life is comprised of small doors of opportunity. Hey, Paul, would you come and look after our car park? Would you be a pastor to everybody who parks throughout the week? Paul, Paul, it's, it's you know, we're not going to pay you a great salary and, and it's going to require you getting up early. But I really love the fact that Paul just sent, went to God. God, my life's yours. Everything I have is yours. And so you know what he did? He stepped through the door of opportunity. It was a small door. And I want to tell you, it feels really small every morning that he's waking up and getting out of bed at 5 a.m. and he's driving his little 125 scooter in freezing conditions and sliding around the road like an ice skater and he gets in there. I tell you, those times it feels like a real small door, but there's going to come a time when on this site or another site in the city center here, we're going to build a 35, 40 million pound amazing complex to the glory of God. It's going to be something that people are going to look at and go, wow, look at this church, look at what it's doing. And do you know how it all came to pass? Because of people like this made a decision. I'm going to step through these doors of opportunity. Sometimes we look at people's big doors of opportunity and we say, how come they're getting a big door? Do you know why? Because when you weren't looking and you didn't know, they were stepping through those little doors. 
Uh-huh. Do I need a crucified and risen savior to step through a door of opportunity? Because I seem to notice that pagans have quite a few opportunities, large and small and medium-sized, too. I mean, they don't believe in Jesus. How come they're getting opportunities? Those inconsequential doors. I reckon that in, in the doorway of every divine opportunity... There's a devil or one of his minions hanging around. Oh, sounds so spiritually dangerous, dude. The way you set this all up. The problem is is it's utter mythology. This isn't even biblical. It's just a myth you've created. Tony, you you don't want to go through this door. This opportunity is too big for you. Who do you think you are? You're just one talent person. We talked about the craziness of that this morning. Who do you think you are? I know many people who've got so close to stepping into the next phase of life, got so close, got so close, and end up kind of living this world of in and out and in and out and in and out. Some of us on the front row, Stu and I, have got a friend. So Christianity is all about learning how to seize opportunities so that you don't plateau in particular seasons of your life. No, it's, it's not. This isn't a biblical or Christian message. And, uh, one of the guys who used to serve Stuart and Julie in their church in London, he's in London, his name is Melvin. Melvin's Indian, he's, he's Asian, he's a pastor, and he's awesome. We love Melvin. Melvin, his wife is my dentist. I go to Croydon because she's just a brilliant dentist. We love this family. But a few months ago, she got, he got, Melvin got onto the tube in London. I don't know where he was going. And he tried to squeeze himself in. He's a bit of a larger chap, and he squeezed himself in. But Melvin couldn't quite get in the full carriage of the plane. And when the tube doors closed, they hit him on his cheek. He was so stunned, the doors opened, and they closed again. Wham! And hit him three times on the face. Everybody in the carriage is laughing at him. Not because, just because the train doors hit him. But because in this day's stupor, as he stood there going, can you believe that? This Asian friend of ours, Melvin, Melvin, had these dirty marks down the side of his face as evidence that he didn't quite make it through the door. The devil doesn't want you to quite make it through the door. Just because some guy couldn't get in the tube, that means the devil is trying to keep us from getting in the doors of opportunity. Again, you just pulled this out of thin air and wrote a mythology. This is not Christian doctrine or theology. It's not for you. It's not your fit. You can't get in here. This is not your opportunity. Who do you think you are? But when you know potential, God's a God of opportunity. And the devil would hound you and he'd tease you and say, you can't do this. And you know, you're so tempted. You think it's going to be good. Pastor's preaching. It must be right. But you know what? I I don't know. And, And as you turn to walk away, as you walk back into the comfort zone of your life, the devil says, ha ha, don't let the door hit you where the dog bit you. Stay where you are in your comfort zone. But you weren't destined for that in 2015. Oh, yeah. Because 2015 came along. No, you have a total new destiny, right? He is a God of opportunity. Just because you repeat it over and over again in your sermon doesn't make it biblical or true. Yeah, so that's the end of the sermon. Well, talk about filling people's heads with complete nonsense that's not even biblical. That's what that sermon did and even twisted God's word to boot. That's what we call taking God's name in vain. Who is he preaching about? Not Jesus. No, not what a great Savior you have. Oh, he's talking about how great 
you are and how great your opportunities are going to be this year and all that kind of nonsense. And when it doesn't come to pass, what ends up happening? You either forget what the pastor said or you think about what the pastor said and you realize, well, you must not have done whatever is necessary to in, to find all those great opportunities as you continue to languish in obscurity. And you don't even have big opportunities or small opportunities. No opportunities. Maybe you lose your job, you know. You think, uh, Christianity isn't true. This Jesus thing, it just didn't work for me. The reality is, is that if that's the Jesus and the Christianity that you're in, you still have not met or understand the real Jesus or what biblical Christianity is all about and the good news that he bled and died for your sins. Yep. Anyway, you get the point. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry his death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.